Hello and welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. This is the first in our series of live conversations exploring Omaha culture. The live show is at Benson Theater on Wednesdays. Please check for upcoming events. Today's show, we have comedian Cameron Logston discussing his journey in comedy and how he made a place for himself in a city not known for having a huge comedy scene. Cameron currently hosts the late night show, Late Night at the Backline with Cameron Logston. Check that out. Check out everything he's doing. It's great. In the meantime, please enjoy. So I had gotten set up on that side, but Ben told me every late night host always sits on this side. Yeah. Do you have any insight into that? Uh, well, I, I can tell you that uh, it's probably easier. I mean, I think Fallon's got a really good left side. Uh, Carson had a really good left side. Uh, but what you're missing most is the desk, which most late night, late night hosts get away with being able to not wear pants if they don't want to. So you're missing the desk, but I can work a good setup. But if I'm wearing pants, then does the side matter that much? No, the side doesn't matter. I mean, it depends which way do you, you know, you can spill. It's on set up side. well. That's what I'm saying. I think it's a good setup. Okay, <laughs> I'll stick with it. Uh, you just drink coffee there? Yeah, coffee, black coffee. I'm gonna be a late night. It's a late night. We're doing a whole late night thing. I was gonna get a coffee, but I felt like that might be rude, so uh, I miscalculated. No, no, I don't think it's. I don't think it's rude. Okay, is that your way of telling me that what I've done is rude? No, no, no. I'm just. Uh, <laughs> I'm not projecting my insecurities. No, no it's just. Uh, no, no. I was just thinking, you know, like I, I want to make it seem like you're keeping me awake and I don't need extra, you know, caffeine. Oh, but no, I'm, not, I'm not feeling offended. It's fine. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> just. It's my, it's my beverage of choice. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So let's talk for a second, um, just to kind of get to know you a little bit, uh, sort of backstory. So you're from Omaha originally? Yeah, that's right. I was born uh, at Bergen Mercy, and I'll die at Bergen Mercy. So. Wow, I don't even know what hospital I was born at. So that's, that's a thorough answer. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, so you grew up in Omaha and didn't move at any point? Or? No, I've never lived outside of the state. Um, I've traveled a lot. Uh, I didn't travel. I didn't start really getting out of the state until I was um, in my early 20s, and prior to that, I mean, I knew pretty much Omaha and surrounding areas, and that was just about it. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I went to school here, college here, grad school here, you know, I work here, live here, and I feel like, to some extent, I've always kind of felt like, uh, I feel like I'm just not living enough because I don't actually get out of Omaha that much. Do you feel that way? Uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to get out of Omaha, and for the longest time, I mean, anybody that's from Omaha, when they're young, they're always like, oh, I can't wait to leave. I'm going to go somewhere warm. I'm going to move to New York City. You know, everybody wants to get out. But the, the truth is, I think that what happens, and if you ask anybody that's from here, they've been here for forever. And everybody always ends up coming back. And there's probably a reason. It's because Omaha, I think, is a, is a really great place to be. What does he say in that, the, the video? It's like somebody moved here in 1985. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the idea that... You know, the only reason that you're here is because you had a family member that moved here for one reason or another and never left. And that's pretty much true. And then, like, once I did start traveling more and going more places, I'd meet people from all across the country. And they'd say, where are you from? I'd say, Omaha. And then I was like, oh, you know, my aunt lives in Omaha. Uh, and I feel like that's true, too. Like, everybody, like, knows someone lives here and they pity them. And then the people that are here are related to that one person. So... 
I, I feel like I've met a weird amount of people, like when I'm just on vacation somewhere, and you go to like an ice cream shop in South Carolina, and it's like, where are you, oh, where are you in from? Oh, Omaha. Oh, I'm from Omaha. Yeah. <laughs> How? How does that it's happen? It's easy to spot most people because they won't take off their Husker gear. <laughs> and it's like, oh, and you're just pointing at each other from across the room. And, yeah. <laughs> well, so at what point was comedy an obsession for you? Uh, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't want to call anything an obsession, mostly because, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'll change my mind, and then people are like, I thought you were obsessed, and I'm like, well, I mean, I was just into it for a while. Aren't you too far into it to not I'm say not, you're obsessed at this point, though? I'm, I'm too far into it to say that I'm obsessed, but also if I start saying I'm obsessed and it doesn't go the way I want it to, then that's on me. So now I kind of still have a way, I'm like, oh, you know, I do, do some comedy, I do a lot of comedy. But if I don't say as much as I do, then nobody can hold me accountable if I don't ever, you know, uh, get my own HBO one-hour special. I feel like to do any creative endeavor in Omaha, whether you want to call it obsession or not, you kind of have to be obsessed because there's just not enough of an infrastructure here to really jump into. You have to make your own way. Yeah, you do. You have to. You have to push yourself, and you have to push. Uh, you have to push yourself to really kind of sometimes just create it. Or if there's something here, I mean, a lot of we have a lot of small markets for a lot of different creative things. And so once you get in, you kind of have to really push yourself in to not only make it in kind of the clicky groups that might exist in different arts uh, sections of the city, but then to also, you know, kind of force yourselves to stay because, you know what I mean, I mean not a lot of people are going to say to themselves, oh, I'm going to make it in comedy from Omaha. Uh, but to, you know, your first question, I, I've been doing, I, I track that I've been doing stand-up now uh, for about, five and a half years. And I had probably always wanted to do some version of comedy or performance for forever. I've been doing a number of different performance things since I was a kid. Um, but the first time that I, I wanted to do comedy is, I, uh, I made, I made a, an impression video, just some random thing that I threw up on YouTube. And because uh, I, I, I just had always wanted to do it, I always mess around with voices and stuff and play with my friends. and. You know, joke around. And I was like, you know, I think I could like string a bunch of those together and then throw it into the void. Uh, and so I did, and I put it on YouTube, and I was like, well, that wasn't satisfying enough. I was like, maybe I can really feel the pain of comedy if uh, I go out and try and open mic. And so just down the street, about five and a half years ago, I walked into Barley Street Tavern, did an open mic, and I've been going back to that place and a number of other places pretty much every week ever since. So. Did they have the. Yeah, there's the, the, the Barley Street open mic has been going for, oh, I want to say just under 10 years. And there, you know, there have been waves of comedy in the city. Um, but I think that now it's really, it's really booming in terms of there's a lot of different comedy venues. There's a lot of different places where you can do stand up and there are a lot of open mics. At that time, there were two. It was Barley Street and one on Thursday nights downtown. But uh, I just walked in and I had seen maybe a friend or something that said they wanted to do it. And I was like, gosh, you know, I've always wanted to, you know, try that. Um, and so I did, but I'd done a number of performance things in the city uh, prior to doing comedy. And then once I tried it, I was like, oh no, this is the, this is the stuff that I want to subject myself to. This feels great. It felt terrible at first and for a long time. Um, but it's not an obsession. It's not, it's not an obsession. I mean, 
you know, just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different <laughs> results. That's <laughs> so when you did the impression video. Who were your impressions? Oh, uh, you know, when I started, I I took off a, a big chunk. I did fifty to begin. I did fifty different impressions. Um, I'd say at that time, probably six of them were good. Uh, and since then, I would say about five of them were good because I don't do them as much anymore. Who was the worst one you did? Ooh, the worst one was probably like a terribly offensive Jackie Chan impression <laughs> that I should not have included. I won't do it now because it was bad, it was wrong, I shouldn't have tried. But uh, I threw it in because I was like, oh, it said 50, it'd be real weird to do 49. Uh, and so, uh, but yeah, so, but, but the, but there was, I tried to front load, you know, at the beginning of the video. Who's the best? The best one, uh, I'd say my best one was probably either Will Smith or um, or maybe uh, maybe maybe an Owen Wilson, Denzel Washington, Christopher Walken. Those are probably my go-tos. Those are the easiest ones I think for me to do, mostly because I've seen most of their movies, um, and uh, and so I've just kind of watched them growing up and talked like them for so long, and they were kind of the inspiration. Like, well, I do that all the time anyway. I might as well just make a joke out of it. I don't know how that thinking follows, but that's how I ended up there. Well, I know I heard Steve Coogan say one of the reasons he started with impressions was because you can impress somebody in 10 seconds and then yeah. you can think, oh, okay, so that's in 10 seconds. What can we do when he's trying to, you know, something a little bit more of his own style? Yeah. Was that, I mean, were you trying just to do something that's easily accessible, easy to impress really quickly? Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because I thought that would be the case, you know, oh, I could do this impression. That's that's cool. People think that's cool. I've been told, like, that's entertaining. I was like, ah, oh, people laugh. Ah, oh, well, that, you sound like a person that I know. Um, but then I realized that uh, I did it backwards because I didn't have anything else to show them after that. So I was just kind of doing voices with with no goal. And then they were like, well, can you do anything else? I was like, uh, not yet, but if you stick around, maybe in a while. So I probably set myself up for failure real fast. You still do it hard way. Impressions? Yeah, I still do. I still do impressions from time to time. I just I just did a video. It was the first time I did a, a YouTube video where I tried to do, uh, I, I dressed up and I did characters along with the impressions. Because normally I was doing voices and, you know, uh, bottom line, if I, if I would be candid, all I want in the world and, not, and, and, and through all different kinds of performance, I mean, the dream would be, as it is for a lot of comedians, being on like a Saturday Night Live, mm -hmm. you know? And so I was like, I, if I do this impression video, maybe they'll put me on Saturday Night Live. What I didn't think through was, hey, uh, Cameron, you're a, you're a you know, five, six brown guy. You're probably not gonna be playing either Will Smith or Owen Wilson on uh, Saturday Night Live. I don't think they could get you into that costume. Um, or Jackie Chan. Or ja Jackie Chan. Uh, maybe, uh, they might, I might be able to pull off Jackie Chan. So nebulously, <laughs> nebulously brown, I think you could pull off Jackie Chan. But the, the curse is I can't do a Jackie Chan impression. So unless they ever wanted to write a sketch where like Jack, like Will Smith is trapped in Jackie Chan's body. <laughs> I'd watch that sketch for sure. Hey, I'd try to sell it to him. So. <laughs> well, okay, so then when you started doing open mics, how old were you at that point? Um, I didn't start doing open mic comedy until I was, let's see, I was, um, I was about 23 or 24, 24 about. Um, and I say only because, I mean, I know that in the grand scheme of life, that's young, but 
uh, in terms of comedy, it can feel like a late start because you know some of these people they you know as soon as they're allowed into the the bar at 18, they can't order drinks, but they're trying to do get stage time and stuff. And so I felt a little bit behind when I started, but I was I was about 24 because prior to that I was doing a bunch of other kinds of performance things. You know, I was doing a lot of acting. Um, I I did <laughs> I did slam poetry for a long time. Uh, which I have no, I, I respect slam poets, I do. Um, and I respect that, that there are people that can still do slam poetry. But for me, um, it became really difficult to hold a straight face for three to five minutes at a time. I just couldn't take anything that seriously. And I was like, I think I'm in the wrong, I think I'm at the wrong open mic. So like, they're all really genuine. Really genuine, they're pouring their souls out. They're, uh, they're looking for tears. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, I don't like making people sad. I don't like this as much. So it's like the, not fun. the guy who's like, he's trying, but he's maybe too sarcastic. I don't yeah, know. I mean, he laughs. it just, uh, it didn't work. It didn't work for me. I liked writing, you know, and I, I felt I felt a lot better about myself if I had like a really punny poem uh, than I would if I had something that like really moved somebody's spirit. Well, you know? so like before then though, so even when you're like in high school, did you, we were gravitating toward performance though? Yeah, so in high school I did, I did um, forensics uh, and I'm still very involved in that now. Forensics, a lot of people hear forensics and think like, you know, dead bodies, stuff like that. It's not dead bodies, um, it's, I don't know how we ended up with the term, but it's just competitive speech. It's just a speech team, right? And it's not like debate, like great debaters, it's more like track where students compete in individual like events for a team score. But it's like one half of it is like persuasive speaking, and the other half of it is basically just acting. And I did the acting part of it, and I liked it because it was like one part uh, acting and one part um, competition. But the, the part I liked most about it was that it required a very little time commitment up front, right? If I wanted to be in a play, they're like, well, you've got to be here uh, six or seven nights a week um, for like five hours a day. And, uh, and then we'll do a show for, for two weeks and you have to be there three times a night and you've got to do it. And I was like, ah, it seems like a lot. Whereas, you know, I had my the speech coach reach out to me in high school. He's like, well, if you want, you could just memorize this thing. It's like eight minutes and then you could do that every other weekend or whenever you're free. I was like, that sounds good. And that's pretty much what comedy is now. Like I do it on my own terms. If somebody asked me to be in a play, I would love to do the acting. But I couldn't, I don't think I could give you six or seven nights a week of the same words over and over and over. I might um, just go Shakespearean level mad and then really lose it. Well, so what, uh, what was your script or what were you doing? What was the email one? Um, well, uh, funny enough, in high school I had, a, I had this, it was like a slam poem, but I, I wrote it, which I wasn't supposed to. Um, uh, but I think the only reason it did well was because I did an impression of Muhammad Ali. It was a poem about Muhammad Ali. But it wasn't like I wasn't doing an impression of Muhammad Ali. I was doing an impression of Will Smith doing an impression of Muhammad Ali. And now I was like, yeah, we found out around then. No, it was like six or seven years old at that point. It was, it was the old movie uh, by the time I was doing it. But you know, I don't know. The, all of it, as I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, you can't do anything the way that it's supposed to. No wonder you're doing this now. There are a lot less rules. Did you ever do yeah. like a, one of the classic comedy scripts or anything that they had for that? 
Um, you know what? You know, funny enough, I so I did I did speech um, my senior year of high school. I went and I did it in college, and then that got me through college, and it got me paid uh, for a master's degree. I got my master's degree covered, and um, then I started teaching full time, and I was a speech coach, and and I still I'm still a speech coach during the day. Uh, and all that time, all the time that I competed, I, I competed for about six years. Um, I never, I never did a funny, a funny speech. And then by the time I finished, I started coaching students. And I was like, okay, now that I'm coaching, I'm not performing for myself anymore. Uh, do I want to do more sad stuff? And I was like, no, that sucks. I hate that. What sad stuff were you doing? Oh, I don't know, like any possible sad thing you can think of, like a really dramatic script about like a guy who has cancer, or like a really dramatic script about like a guy who like never had a father, or like a really dramatic script about like a guy who never had a father because his father had cancer. Like any combination of sadness, like the saddest things you could think of, that's what I was doing. Um, and then, and so I put in a lot of years of that, and I think I'm about to teeter over more, I've done enough years of comedy now that it might balance out. And then maybe I'll be a, a even keeled person. I don't know, we'll see in like six months, we'll see how it goes. When I was in high school, I did speech, and I did more like the extemp and prompty type stuff. Okay, I, I hated you. smart stuff. Yeah. Well, I just couldn't memorize anything. I don't know. <laughs> and so the coach at one point said, you and this other guy always do those. You should just do a duet because the two of you have a good energy. Oh, yeah. And somehow we wound up doing this Woody Allen duet, Death Knocks. I don't know if you've ever heard okay. of that. But so it's like death comes to talk to this guy and they argue about whether he should die. And so basically it turned into, I was like, well, I want to do a Woody Allen impression if I'm going to do that. And so oh, I did that. Right. And it was not, not great. But then the other guy is like, well, if you're going to do an accent, I'm going to do an Australian accent. There's just like no logic behind it. Yeah, so I'm doing a terrible impression. He's doing a terrible Australian accent. And we'll sound like you're from Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it sounds like, but we, we get like two pages into it uh, at the competition, and neither of us is going to remember anything, so we forget everything. And then we just would improvise in, in our poorly developed characters for a few minutes until we found the ending. And that was like my only real experience trying to memorize anything. Yeah, see, uh, that's, that's, that's speech. That's it. <laughs> it's like one person decides I'm Woody Allen, and I was like, I'm, you know, Australian, and the script is probably sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get very far. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we knew we bombed, and it would end, yeah. and everyone just kind of gives us these confused looks. Yeah. Know? Yeah, that was, that was it. Uh, we'll go sit down. Well, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making light of speech, but truthfully, all the stuff that I did in that activity is, is anything that ever led me to being able to be even kind, like masking being kind of good at anything else. You know, when I was started doing stand-up, I was a very bad joke writer. My stuff wasn't funny, but I could stand on stage and not be freaked out because I had so much training. I did duo, this is the same, I did it in college. I won a national championship. Uh, and in college and did that and so you compete at this high level and you're speaking in front of hundreds of people and you're doing all this stuff and you have all this experience but it doesn't matter how much experience you have when you transition into comedy you learn really quickly uh, whether or not you were any good at comedy because it doesn't matter if you're a good speaker it doesn't matter if you have a ton of experience if you're not funny you're not funny and the audience will tell you real quick uh, and so it was it's transitioning to comedy out of that where I competed at such a high level and did it for so long, and then went to the bottom bar the bottom of the barrel at the Barley Street Bar, and I'm trying to tell jokes, and I'm basically just shotgunning through impression after impression after impression, 
I mean, it taught me a whole new thing. And so it was like, you know, a life, a life of, uh, you know, a, youth, a young adult youth life of acting and slam poetry and, you know, act, you know, speech and all that stuff went, was like nothing once I started doing comedy because it's its own, it's its whole own thing. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like this still goes back to you being a little obsessed, though, if you're going to go from the top God, to you know, the early The more street, you say you know? it, the more <laughs> I think you know something I don't. And now I'm like looking out into the crowd, I'm like, oh gosh, is my family here? Is this an intervention? And they're trying to talk to me. <laughs> you go to too many open mics, you know, or you do, you know, I don't know. This is probably the right crowd for like someone just starting out an open mic night, you know? Yeah, I mean, if they're lucky, uh, truthfully, you know, you talk about a light crowd, most comedy shows, I'd kill for this crowd. <laughs> this would be great. There's, a, there's at least four or five eyes, that's more than you get uh, at any given com comedy show. So this is great crowd, I'm glad you're here. Uh, come to my shows, that'd be, be awesome, I'll get you in. Well, so, I mean, were you, were you aware that you were funny, even as you're doing all the sad things and excelling? Oh man, so that's the thing. Uh, nobody, it, comedians always like, they, you ask anybody, like, did you know you're, we always claim we're like, uh, am I funny? I don't know, I don't know unless they laugh. And uh, we don't know if we're funny. I don't know if I'm funny. I still don't know if I'm funny. But I mean, I, I just knew that uh, I liked, the thing is you like that feeling when you tell a punchline, you tell a story, and, and you don't, and it's not just, it's not just crickets, you know? I, I, I joked around a lot with my friends, I, I, you know, but I didn't think, uh, I didn't think comedy would be the way that I would go, you know? I never, I never had a sign. I mean, it was just one of those things. I just like making people laugh. I like juggling my friends, ripping around, just like anybody, but it's not until you start doing it as, you know, uh, as, like a, as like a thing you actually want to do, until you get up on stage and start doing it that you realize, Oh, I could be comedy funny, not just you know, you know, yuck, yuck them up in the office kind of funny, or, right? You know, make fun of my friends kind of funny. That's. But so, like, you kind of alluded to it before. I mean, do you think somebody can learn to be funny if they don't have some instinct for it immediately? Um, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can learn to be funny. I mean, there's probably a bunch of tricks of the trade in terms of like learning how to. There's, you know, comedy is writing. I, I, I like, I focus a lot on writing. Um, I, and in terms of late night shows and stuff like that, I have a real interest. I think I'm unique in that way uh, because I'm a stand up comedian who likes to do stand up, but I really have a strong appreciation for sketch comedy. I have a strong appreciation for um, late night comedy like the Fallons, like uh, Seth Myers or Carson or, or Jay Leno, things like that. But because that's so much more writing. And that's a skill. That's a skill that you can practice and you can learn. And I think that with from an academic background, I have so much more interest in that. Um, but in terms of like being able to stand up on stage with no costume, no nothing, you and a microphone, uh, some people have that and some people don't. And I think that I'm, I'm probably somewhere in between. I'm somebody who can stand up on stage comfortably and you gave me enough time, like five and a half years. Then I can write a joke uh, and I get there. But I don't know. I don't think that people could probably. I don't think anybody could just like pick it up. If you don't, if you don't have at least the spark, you know, you're not gonna get there. Okay. Well, I mean, like, so it seems like one of the things it's hard to gauge uh, with comedy because you can think, okay, that joke was really good as you're writing it, and whether it lands or not is kind of a different question. But then there's also just like you know, you're in Omaha, and so it's maybe not a comedy crowd the same way it would be somewhere else. 
Were you ever tempted just to go try it somewhere else? Yeah, so <clears throat> I've learned a lot in terms of trying comedy in a number of different places. I mean, I've, I just did a show last week up in, um, in uh, uh, not Iowa City, South, South Sioux. I was in South Sioux City, um, kind of on that South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska corner. And we were at the VFW for a bunch of um, kind of like grunt level uh, people to work for the National Guard. And the stuff that works there is so different even than what you could do in Omaha, you know? And I've done comedy in <clears throat> San Francisco or Austin or Chicago or New York. And in all those places, it's also very different. I think those places are more akin to Omaha. I mean, Omaha's a metro the same as anywhere else is a metro. It's a city. It's a small version of every other city. But, like, it's when you get out into the small VFW in South Sioux or you're doing a small show in Kearney and you're really, like, out kind of in the smaller towns in Nebraska or in the middle of the country, that's when you feel a real difference. But, um, and, and the venue matters, too. You know, the venue matters. Like, there's a difference, I think, between doing a comedy club and doing, like, a small hole-in-the-wall bar. You're just going to get it. It just attracts a different crowd. But I think Omaha, as a whole, is not that different than, than the rest of the country. What's a joke that works in Kearney but not in Omaha? Uh, probably something that's a little uh, edgier in terms of, like, oh, I don't want to say it. I, I hate to just do Kearney so dirty. But uh, there's a joke where, like, I've got a joke where I talk about just being brown, right? And, and it's a joke that, like, if I said in Omaha, they'd be like, uh, you know, I'd be like, I'm brown. And they'd be like, okay, go on, right? Uh, if I'm in Chicago, they'd be like, and so are we. Uh, but, like, if I tell that joke in Carney, they just lose their minds. They laugh so hard. And it's always this, like, it's probably, like, this moral confliction for me where I'm like, look, I know that if I tell this, like, joke, I'm kind of self-deprecating and, like, kind of, like, you know, uh, doing brown people dirty. If I tell it, I don't know if, like, it's the right thing to do. Like, in the eyes of the seven, I don't know if it's the right thing to do, but I know it's going to get a laugh. <laughs> so a lot of times I'll probably still do it. I'll probably still do it, but only for like if I come back here, I'm not gonna do it because I expect more. You guys have had better education. You guys know what to expect here in Omaha. And then every once in a while, I'll tell myself, no, 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 no. I'm gonna tell these jokes, but I'm gonna caveat and I'm gonna teach them something new about how we don't expect certain things. And so every once in a while, you try to slip something in to a place like Carney. You're like, oh, did you learn something? Maybe you did. Maybe you're maybe you're a little better for it. Maybe you don't laugh so hard at that other part next time. Okay, we're learning as a group. As a group. <laughs> Is that a goal in general for your comedy, would you say? Uh, to teach Carney how to not be racist? Or... <laughs> yeah, well, or just like apply it in a broader sense, sure. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things where um, I think that we're kind of in this time where there's such... The, if, you, if you're creating something and you don't have a point to it, um, I think, I think you in this day and age, you're going to get lost because there's so much content, you know, and not just on the internet, but I mean, people, because they have access to so many different types of art through the internet and through globalization or through just the melting pot that has become so many different areas, people are creating with a purpose. And if you don't have a goal to what you're doing, it's going to get lost. Now, I'm not going to say that every joke that I tell is going to save the world. I'm not even trying to save the world. That can't be my job. I'm a comedian, I'm just gonna tell jokes, 
right? That's not my job. That's the job of somebody, you know, like um, a president or something. But we can't all be held to such high standards, um, is the thing. And so I think that all I want is, my goal is always, one, make people have a good time. Two, uh, if I do have a joke that I think, you know, I think that a lot of times I might introduce an idea or a concept that maybe I want more people to know about, but I'm not going to make it my job to, to, you know, educate people through my stand-up, because nobody goes to a comedy show to, to get a talking to, and I, I know that works for some comedians, that's just not the way that I approach things. Um, I did a TED Talk, so they got my talking to, uh, and if I wanted to teach people, they can come to a class, which I also do. I'm all over the place. This is not, this. I got an excuse, okay? If I ever, if comedy fails, I got an excuse. I can say, well, you know, I'm also this other thing. Right. So, but um, but I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to change the world. I mean, not right now. I mean, I'm just trying to get get enough people to a show to listen. And once they're there, I just want them to come back or stay. You know. But it does seem like you know, since you have some response or some appreciation for the late night culture. That's like the late night shows seem like they're definitely moving toward having some kind of message or they're trying to do a little more than just make jokes. Yeah. I mean, I think that they are and they aren't because the truth is, is that the, I think the question is always like, are you trying to solve for something? And that's where the line between, you know, what is comedy's responsibility and what should we be doing? You know, I don't, I don't ever think that it's the goal of a comedian or the goal of a writer, a uh, late night writer or something like that. Their goal isn't always to solve the problem. That's not their, I, that's not the goal. But if they can point out a problem, that's probably, I think, a better place to be. And there are, I think, comedians who will do a good job. There are late night people who will do a good job of saying, look, this is a problem, and here's some better options they might do that. But I think that once we start expecting that of the people who are just supposed to be making light of stuff, you're going to be disappointed. We're going to be mad, and then people and you don't give comedians the the freedom to you know tell you a joke about something political or tell you a stance on something or point out a flaw in where things are, but then also turn around and tell you a silly story about how uh, rabbit poop looks like cocoa puffs. You know what I mean? Like they should have they, but the comedians want to be able to move in between. But the moment we start holding our comedians to the same standards that we hold our, you know, community leaders or our, uh, or our politicians or, or the people who are supposed to be making a difference, well, then that's a flaw, I think, as us as an audience. Because we can't hold them to the same standard. We have to be able to differentiate between what's an entertainer and what is a leader. And so I think that if we, when we start being able to do that, it might help us in more ways than just enjoying comedy. Were you a Letterman guy or a Leno guy? I like Leno. I like that he's shiny. He's shiny. I can appreciate Letterman uh, because he's goofy, and I like that. And he's weird, and he does goofy stuff. But I just like how shiny Jay Leno. I mean, he was always. He's like. He's got the car collection. He's just like a shiny sports car of an entertainer. Like he just has it. And I also just think that he's. I think he's genuinely funnier looking. I know everybody says that's totally true. I think I think everybody says that Letterman's funnier looking with the gap and he's kind of gangly and goofy, you know. But I think Jay Leno is just a silly looking guy. Well, you know, he looks like a cartoon character. He really. looks like a cartoon. Like that's how shiny he is. Like his lines are so clean and his chin is like perfectly giant. 
you know, uh, I, and I love that. It's just, and, it, and to me, that's just so silly. And I think that um, watching things like The Tonight Show, when, when Meadow's on it, it just has this shine and this sheen that just like screams Hollywood or screams entertainment, you know, and I, and I like that. I think um, when it comes to late night, that's what I, I like stuff like that, whereas, you know, Letterman, uh, I think I look for more things like that in a stand-up. I want somebody a little rough around the edges that might, you know, uh, that might bring a little bit more character, might not be as polished, but if you're going to be in millions of people on TV, you better shine that chin, you know. Do you do a Leno impression? Uh, I, you know, I kind of did a Leno impression a few years ago. I started doing one, but only, uh, oh God, I had this like terrible joke about a government shutdown. Which oh, is only, which is hilarious because uh, at the time I was like, oh, it's so it's so wild that we have a government shutdown. I better I better put this in the act somehow. And then I never thought I'd be able to use it again. I should take it out. My Leno impression was always really just basically. I'm trying to think if I could do it now. As um, you can just answer a question as Leno. Yeah. Like, so so uh, the the. The, the dog, he went to he went to he went to work the other day. They sent they sent him home. Did you see this? Did you hear about this? The dog went into work, and uh, you know what they said? They said he had to go home because he was he was furloughed. <laughs> yeah, that's and I hated I hated doing it. But the only way that I could tell my stupid pun was to pretend I wasn't me saying it. So that if people were like, oh, that's a dumb pun, and they wanted to groan or boo me, I'm like, well, it wasn't me, it was Leno. You know, it, was, it was that guy, not me. That seems really useful for comedy in general. Like, you can always shift into character whenever it's, you know, helpful for you. Yeah, it, it's helpful uh, in comedy. It's more helpful, you know, if I just want to get out of a conversation and just start talking to five different people. I'm like, well, I'm not going to talk to this guy anymore, I'm out. Uh, but, yeah, it can be helpful. Okay, so you also do the Backline show, uh, late, it's, is it Late Night with Cameron Loxton? That's what it's called? Yep, Late okay. Night at the Backline with Cameron Loxton. What's the story of that one? So, I mean, it just, it's born of the fact that I love, uh, I, I like late night comedy. There's a lot, and, and one of the things that people don't realize about the Omaha comedy scene is there's a lot of different uh, ways that you can get your comedy fix, right? And you can watch all the Netflix you want to, and you can watch all the specials, but I think there's something very different, just like with any art form, about getting out and seeing it live and watching it happen. And I mean, yeah, you might not be getting, you know, um, you're not getting Kevin Hart or Ellen DeGeneres like you can on your own TV screen at home, but you're getting something real. You're getting something right in front of you. It's authentic. You put your phone down, you sit down, and you have a laugh, and you enjoy it, and it's just different. And so the thing is, is that there's a lot of different comedy in Omaha. We've got, we've got the funny bone. You can see, a, you can see a traditional club comic show. You can also go to any bar, uh, any given week. There's, you know, there's a bar show where you're gonna see eight comedians in one night for like two bucks, right? You're gonna get cheap beer, you're gonna get cheap drinks, and you're gonna get some laughs. Um, and then you've got, you know, big, big, you know, theater shows, or every once in a while there'll be an arena show or something. And there's improv comedy, and there's sketch comedy, and there's weird shows, and there's traditional shows. But what we didn't have in the, in the city was like a late night show that was live, where you could get jokes about the news, you can see a stand-up comedian, you can get a musical guest, you can see somebody be interviewed, uh, you can get some sketch comedy. It kind of all, and that's the beauty of late night, it kind of packages all the best parts of it 
because you know it's 11 o'clock at night and you, you turn on the TV and there's the best part about that is there's something kind of for everybody you know there's jokes about uh, entertainment there's jokes about politics whatever you want and then we didn't have that and I was like well somebody got to do it you know and so um, I had done um, a number of uh, late night writing things with um, Second City out of Chicago and I had just come back from doing a week uh, in New York at 30 Rock with um, NBC. I was part of their NBC Late Night Writers program, um, which is really cool. And so with that, you go to New York and you work, uh, you, you're just writing basically for a week and you're working with writers from the late show or from late night with Seth Meyers and the Tonight Show and people from Saturday Night Live come in and you basically are just, it's just like a, it's like comedy camp at, at in, in New York and it was so cool and I was like, I wanna do this. Um, and while I'd love to be working for a show or something like that and maybe somewhere down the line I will, I was like, I would like to bring a live version of this back home. And so I came home and I talked to um, the, the man who owns the, the Backline Improv Theater, Dylan Rohde, and I said, hey, I know you're looking for a, a Saturday a Saturday slot, and that's kind of a big slot for them. I was like, let me do a late night show in the 10 o'clock. And, and I described it, I said, I wanna do basically live late night television, but on your stage, let's do it small, let's do it Omaha, we'll bring people in. And it was really cool, and we, I've done it for a little over a year now, and most of the time it's an all new show. Every once in a while, if I'm particularly busy, it'll just be a stand-up showcase. So we'll just, you know, run a mill showcase. You get, you know, eight comics, something like that, and everybody does a shorter amount of time. But when we do the show, it's a lot of fun because um, I'm doing, you know, I'm writing news jokes and I'm writing sketches and I'm bringing a guest in and we've got a stand-up, we've got a live musical guest, we're doing all this stuff and it's a really cool night where it's just full of just as much stuff as we can pack into the stage in 75 minutes. And and uh, it's been, I've been really lucky. It's been my favorite thing in terms of all the comedy stuff that I've done at this point. It's my favorite thing I've done. When's the next one? Next one is February 16th. February 16th. And so um, if you, you know, my social media is where I usually post and make announcements about who our musical guest and who our stand-up will be. We've got a guy coming in from out of town um, to do stand-up. Uh, this time, and uh, musical guests will be announced um, on my social media soon. And so, and outside of that, it's always it's always just you just got to show up and see what we did. Right. Okay. So one other thing I want to talk about is uh, Omaha Live. Yeah. Okay. So I don't even know the story of Omaha Live. Somehow I just like I know it exists. I've watched it. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how did it start. So Omaha Live is this crazy thing. It's a local, all local um, uh, television show. It's kind of a sketch variety show um, and it started when Matt Tompkins who's uh, he hosts uh, the morning show on Sweet 98 with Matt and Nikki right now but um, a few years ago he started it was just him and his brother and their cousin they had one camera and they somehow negotiated for a slot that was being used for like infomercials or something after Saturday Night Live on NBC WWT and they said you're not doing anything with this slot let us use it we want to make a, a sketch show and for some reason they did and they had a camera and it was like one camera and those three guys and they started doing the show and I heard they were doing it and I wanted to get involved so I emailed them I was like hey let me get involved they emailed me back and they're like no I was like oh <laughs> what they say no for 
you know, I don't know. I'm going to take it up with him. I, I remind him all the time, though, because then, like, a year later, he emailed me. He's like, hey, uh, we can really use some help. You want to come in and write and act in the show? And I was like, let's do it. How could they not, like, anybody who wants to do it with any credentials? You know, I don't know. But I think that because it was such a small thing and they were literally just trying to survive, trying to put 30 minutes of content together, that's hard to do every week. You know, to edit it and get it TV ready every single week. Just one guy did all the editing. Um, they were filming themselves. They set up the camera and we had to fucking set up. Yeah, I know how that goes. Yeah, they're doing all of that. Uh, and then, you know, then I joined and a couple other people joined. And we, um, and then over the years, it kind of grew and grew until, you know, um, just this last December, we had, I think, 24 different cast members. We had a writing crew. We had um, a studio space, lots of equipment. We had sponsorships, all these things. And it took a long time to build to that. And a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll fall asleep during SNL. They wake up, Omaha Live is on. They're like, what is this? And people, uh, a lot of people really like the show. But the people that are critical of the show, I think, don't realize, like, this is a, this is a like, pull yourself up by bootstraps group uh, small group of comedians that were working really hard to put something together um, locally without without a lot of uh, without a lot of support from from much of anyone. I mean, it was it was really on them. And when they started out, they were amateurs, and uh, and and I mean to to this day, I mean, still kind of are, but you know, it's really cool. We started doing Nebraska news, which is basically weekend update, but for Nebraska. Which is really cool. That seems um, right up your alley. Oh, it was perfect. It was a dream, and, and I wanted to do it on the show for a long time. And it wasn't until we got some sponsorships that secured a bigger studio space for us, and we could build the set and get up a three camera setup and get our um, our uh, 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 teleprompters and do all that stuff that we were able to really do um, the Nebraska news the way I wanted to. But I was like, again, because I have all these great things I want to do and I want to participate in the larger world of comedy. But I'm also like, I really do love this place. I love being from here. I love working here. So I want to be able to take all that stuff and bring it here and do it. And then I want to take everything that we're doing here and bring it out to everybody else too. And I think that, you know, I think there's a lot of great people in Omaha that try to do the same thing. And I'm just trying to follow in everybody's footsteps, but in an area that is my own. You know. Well, was uh, the fact that Johnny Carson's from Nebraska, was that something that was you were aware of as far as developing interest in late night? I don't think it was, but only because Nebraska loves to claim famous people that were just born here and then moved. You know, like how many times have we been told that Malcolm X was born, you know, in Nebraska? Born here, but definitely not his accomplishment. Like, that's not what he's known for. Uh, no, nobody mentions that Dick Cheney was born in Nebraska. You're kidding. I didn't even know. Yeah, we, we've hit that one, apparently. Well, you got to bury some stuff, you know? <laughs> I don't uh, know. Just like, just yeah, like Dick would. He'd, he'd bury it if he could. <laughs> he's good at that. No, but yeah, even like, you know, Henry Fonda, as if, like, yeah, any Henry real connection. Fonda. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean... We in the Omaha, it seems like there are a lot of creative people and we try to you know, like get together and sort of organize things. And like I know Ben and I, we've, we made four no budget movies and kind of like what you were saying where it's like people are really critical of anything that doesn't look professional. But then it's just like to be able to make something that's even competent is yeah. really hard, uh, you know, with, without a ton of resources and probably even with a lot of resources. It's hard to make something that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, people just need to hear that story, kind of like, how does this stuff actually get put together here? And then they can kind of start to appreciate it a little bit more. 
But, uh, you know, like comedy's hard because I feel like, uh, and other people have said this, but you have to get that laugh, it seems like, so often that it's one of the most judgmental mediums. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's different. Like, I, I told you I used to do slam poetry, and it's funny to think about it now because uh, I thought that I was good, but truthfully, I'll never know. I'll never know if I was any good at it because when you're doing slam poetry, the audience's job is to sit quietly and listen, right? In comedy, you find out real fast if you're any good because if they're sitting quietly and listening, you're doing it wrong, <laughs> right? Uh, and so it is interesting in terms of the pressure of doing it that way. And that's the other thing about like doing a show, like Omaha Live is difficult because if it's not a live show, I mean, we said Omaha Live, but we, you know, everything was pre-taped. Um, and it's difficult to judge whether or not something works or whether it won't because you don't have an audience, you know, to give you that immediate response. And that can be difficult. But you know, to the fact of making movies and, and things like that on your own, I mean, to your credit, that's, I mean, it, I, I have such an appreciation for anybody that just does it. Because there's so many people, whether it's comedy, whether it's filmmaking, whether it's a TV show, whether, whether you're doing poetry, whatever it is, people are so quick to say, oh, I don't like that, or oh, that's not any good. But it takes people like you, and it takes all the, the creatives to, to keep doing it and keep creating it and putting it up. And we know that it's difficult, but that, but if somebody criticizes, I mean, it's nice to be able to fall back to something like, oh yeah, well then you do it. Right, and they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. you know, they don't have anything to say. Um, but, oh man, making movies on your own is tough. The thing that would suck though, it would, it would really, I always feel bad for somebody who like worked really, really hard and spent millions and millions of dollars on a movie only for it to get like a terrible. I'm like, I, I root for every movie, even if it's bad, I'll get on Rotten Tomatoes and I'll give it a good user score. I'm like just trying to give everybody progress. Cause look, it's not easy. Like none of this stuff is easy. Um, and it can and it, it's, it can be hard to sometimes see uh, the forest through the trees, but I mean, credit to you guys for even doing it. Well, I will say I'm jealous of the fact that you can like work on a joke multiple times. Whereas for us, it's like, Two years after we come up with a joke, if it bombs, it's like, okay, well, that was it, it's over. <laughs> oh, man, that's pressure. I can't, I'd rather just tell a joke in front of like five strangers, and then if it doesn't go well, I'll be like, well, I'll never see them again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it's just like out there. I mean, yeah. like, you know, we don't get to do an update. I guess we could, but it'd be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wait, we, we want a second try at our big premiere. Yeah. <laughs> we reshot the whole movie for week two. Mulligan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've talked about that. Actually, the first one we made, we made in like four days, and so yeah, it's terrible, but it's like, you know, we, we just had to make something. And we always talk like, ah, oh, if we go back and make it again with actual some time, like, you know, it would turn out a little better. Yeah. But it's like, you know, in a movie, it's probably not worth the effort to do that, whereas a joke, at least, you know, doesn't take that much effort to say a joke twice. Yeah, see, I think that's the thing about, like, uh, about local artists is, I think before anything we do, we, we really deserve at least five minutes of judgment-free, qualifying time you know like just so you know it was just the two of us we worked really hard and nobody helped and we and this is my cell phone that i shot this on just so just so we're clear and like if we all had that then i think we i think we deserve it because we're local man we're, we're trying our best with limited resources that's true yeah and i think that's probably a good point actually uh we were going to open up to if anybody in the audience had any questions i know 
you know, in my mind, it's like there's thousands of people in the audience. It's not a huge audience, so no pressure. I feel like there's more pressure since there's not a ton of people. But if you guys have anything you want to ask Cameron, feel free. Uh, just raise your hand. Yeah. Where do you teach speech? I teach speech at the University of Nebraska at Omaha. This podcast is not endorsed by the University of Nebraska at Omaha. <laughs> Does it, do you ever worry that, like, you know, about your students seeing something that you did uh, or some joke you made and taking uh, it the wrong way? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Most of, that's the thing. I'm most, it's, it's not a lot of people in the audience most of the time. So I'm never terribly worried about it. But I did the um, Omaha Explains video, and it blew up way bigger than I thought it would, you know. And uh, it goes viral over the weekend. I go back to class the next week, and I'm asking people, I said, uh, so, um, so did you guys have a good weekend? Did you, you know, anything big happen? No, 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 okay. Well, we're about to do this big test. Um, if, you know, if there are no questions, we'll just go ahead and get started. And we kind of sat there quietly. And then this one girl raised her hand, and she's like, um, I saw your video over the weekend. And then the whole class like wrote it like, ah, I think everybody, I was people I knew shared it. And they were like, that's my speech teacher, blah, blah, blah. Which was a good feeling then. A bad feeling was I learned real quickly that the comments would be the death of anybody. Because I was looking at the comments and be like, well, there's a new job opening at UNO. Somebody fire this guy. Like, look, I don't think you understand. I actually like Omaha. I'm not just like, I'm just poking fun. It's just a joke. But, you know, internet, man, people, people, real, real hard on us, hard on us local guys. It's definitely nice uh, when you don't have a huge audience, there's not a ton of comments you have to go through at least. Oh, yeah, see, that's, that's honestly the best. Every once in a while, I'll upload, you know, a, a little video or something and get no response. I'll be like, well, I'm, I know like, my friends watched it and I got one like, so that's good. That's good. <laughs> my favorite's like, I know... When we were making some of that stuff uh, years ago, like our first videos, we put them on YouTube, and like a hundred people maybe watched it. And there'd be like one person with thumbs down on YouTube, and you're like, "I'm oh, sure I know who that is." Yeah. <laughs> I'm really curious. It's like it's like your dad or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like um, you know, just cause. Yeah, that's the thing. Every once in a while, you upload a video, and if it's like really not doing well, it's got like a hundred views. You're like, "Yeah, but like six of those are me checking back <laughs> just to see how it's doing." <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, another question. Well, first of all, I remember I was uh, at a really bad dive bar called North Shore Tavern, if anybody's familiar. I was pretty lit up and I saw a music video of yours and I was like, oh man, that's Cameron Robinson on this music video. You were humming like a cow or something? Or you were like, <laughs> humming like you were a doing cow. Something. Anyways, my, main, my main question is, uh, <laughs> my main question is, you brought up a really good point about uh, as an audience holding up uh, our entertainers to, to a certain standard, and I think that's very true. I will hardly agree with you. Uh, the only difference is between an entertainer and a leader, right? Mm -hmm. And so, recently on Facebook, I saw an internet meme. It was pretty ugly. It was from this guy that I know who's held up in our community uh, pretty high. Not this community, but my community where I'm from. And he basically put an internet meme of two Democrats. It was uh, Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. And it was a weekend at Bernie's internet meme. And instead of Bernie, Mean there was uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, mm. and now people were like, you know, popping off at this guy and telling him like, you should really take that down. Don't you have a heart? That's that's just a specific example. So, at what point do you feel is uh, entertainment if it's ever gone too far, or are there are there lines? Because it seems like there's some sort of blend at this point between uh, comedy and politics as well. Yeah, 
I think that uh, I think a couple things are true. One, I'm always going to defend uh, free speech. People can say uh, what they want to, um, but in terms of comedy, at least, and, and I have a very different opinion on this between what I expect out of an entertainer and what I expect out of a leader. You know, um, you can say what you want to in comedy, but truthfully, if it's not, I mean, if you're gonna if you want to risk, you know, um, pissing a bunch of people off and, and losing an audience, then that's on you. You know, in a situation where people might make light of certain things, I also always adhere to the rule um, that people, and you hear this a lot, you hear comedians say something like this a lot, but um, don't, don't punch down. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of help, there's not a lot in pointing out a flaw in something that we know is flawed. You know, there's not, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of benefit in making fun of people who can't help themselves and not a lot of benefit in making fun of the things where the situation may be out of their control. And so that's why I think it's so much better for, you know, comedians or entertainers in general to look at a problem above and say, hey, that's a problem, we need to fix it because that's gonna help the rest of us down here, you know? And so I, it's a convoluted thing and, it, and it's difficult to um, to to negotiate, but I think the end of the day, you know, it's the basic rules of life, man. You know, like be be kind, don't don't be a crappy person. You know, try to help people when you can. And um, if you're gonna be, if I'm poking fun at something, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna make fun of somebody who can't help it. I'm gonna make fun of the people who can make a difference, but don't. You know, uh, I'm gonna make fun of the people who should be making a difference, but aren't. And that, I think, will help other people who are looking at that situation go, oh, yeah, you're right, they could be doing more. Um, and I think that that is, is, a, is a tricky line to, to tell, especially when you're talking about people's freedom to say and do things that they want to. Um, but again, I think our standards for entertainers and leaders are different. Now, that's not to say that if you are an entertainer, that you shouldn't hold yourself to a higher standard, right? And I think that's the difference. Um, I think that if you, if you know, if you're a celebrity, if you have, you know, uh, a mass following of people who are going to take your word as gospel or people who are going to listen to your influence, then you should wield that responsibly by holding yourself accountable. Um, but when we start saying, oh, this person made a mistake or this person's not good enough for this, that, or the other, I think we sometimes aren't looking, a lot of times the criticisms that we hear, we're not looking at the right people and we'll criticize some comedian for telling a joke or we're not criticizing you know um, the leader of some you know or, you know the, the head of some business that's taking advantage of all its employees or, or, or a market that could be serving its people better something like that you know it, so it's tricky um, and it's a it's a difficult line to negotiate but any other questions from the audience all right, well, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Riverside Chats is a collaboration between Exarban Creative and Benson Theater. A portion of the night's revenue goes toward renovating the Benson Theater, which is a great local project. You should definitely look into it, especially if you are interested in the arts. I produce the show along with Ben Matukowitz. And please follow us on Facebook. Give us a like on any social media. Give us a review on iTunes, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And please be sure to check for our upcoming guests. We'll be back next week.